Episode 7, Microaggressions Are Real. Welcome to The Last Stop. I am Liliana Daval, transitional pastor of Urban Grace, the downtown church. Urban Grace is an ecumenical church in downtown Tacoma, Washington, that believes in the value of every human being and how the unique contribution of people who are different may enrich us all. Today, we are talking about microaggressions. Microaggressions are small insults and indignities perpetrated against marginalized or oppressed people because of their affiliation with that marginalized or oppressed group. When small comments are insidious or degrading and make us feel we cannot be comfortable with who we are, we are in the presence of microaggressions. Regular exposure to microaggressions causes people to feel isolated and invalidated because we never know from where the next microaggression will come. We develop a tendency to be hypervigilant, which can lead to anxiety disorder and depression. However, microaggressions are very hard to address in real life because they are very hard to see. They are very small and cumulative. They are perpetrated by a number of different people, and many are not even aware that they're perpetrating a microaggression against somebody. Microaggressions may not always be perpetrated in words, but actions also count as such. Like a woman grabbing her purse when you walk by, or people volunteering information about their straight sexual identity in queer presence. Microaggressions are a serious problem beyond the emotional and physical effects they have on the person who receives them. They also have broad social implications because they normalize racism, sexism, discrimination, homophobia, and other social illnesses. It is through microaggressions that the white supremacy system has been held together. If we didn't have all these little ways to separate and dehumanize people, we would empathize with them more fully and we would have changed the system that is really crushing them. The term microaggression was introduced in scholarly literature by Chester Price in 1970. Dr. Price was a psychiatrist from New York who was a pioneer and thought leader in addressing health disparities. He was a senior advisor on the creation of Sesame Street. He was also a black American. Following the civil rights movement, the United States was really invested on becoming politically correct and denying that the oppressive dynamics of racism, sexism, heterosexism, and genderism were still at work. Kevin Nadal said that while political 
correctness may seem positive because it minimizes instances of blatant discrimination, such as hate crimes or racial, sexist, or homophobic slurs, it may also result in the lack of awareness of people's own biases and unintentional behaviors. Nadal is an author, activist, comedian, and distinguished professor of psychology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice and the Graduate Center of City University of New York. He is a researcher and expert on the effects of microaggressions on racial and ethnic minorities and LGBTQ people. He is Filipino and gay. There are three different types of microaggressions. Microinsults communicate stereotypes, shrewdness, and insensitivity toward an embodiment of human difference, such as race, gender, sexual orientation, and physical or mental disability. They are subtly demeaning. An example of microinsult is questioning the capacity of a woman to develop her own business or to raise the voice when speaking to a person from, for whom English is not their first language. Then there are micro-invalidations that serve to deny the validity of personal experience by imposing reality on marginalized groups. They invalidate, negate, and exclude thoughts, feelings, or experiential realities of targeted people. In the end, they define reality for the from a privileged position in ways that marginalize others. A good example of micro-invalidation is to use only images of white people while teaching black or Latinx children, as this makes them believe education is only for white people. Microsaults, on the other hand, are more often conscious and deliberate and intend to communicate a demeaning attack or inflict harm based on the target's racial, gender, or sexual identity. These communications are intended to denigrate the target. Examples of micro-assault in church include using the pulpit to bully LGBTQ people or undocumented immigrants denigrating their personhood by alleging high moral grounds. The difference between microaggressions occurring in ministry settings versus microaggressions experienced anywhere else in society centers on the language, symbols, metaphors, and narratives in the varied settings. When microaggressions operate with the force of religion, they penetrate deeper and produce more intense harm. Microaggressions in ministry can harm in three ways. First, they can serve to tell us who we are as human beings. In other words, constant insult, invalidation, and denigration may convince us we are no good in the eyes of God. Second, they place us in relation to others in society. Microaggressions that use religious language and symbols serve to legitimate and perpetuate 
oppressive social relations. The third way in which microaggressions in ministry harm us is that they set understandings of individuals or social relations within the ultimate context, invoking that is natural or divinely sanctioned. They, there are some major things church leaders can do to minimize microaggressions. Check yourself. Take an implicit bias test. Project Implicit from Harvard has some good ones. The first step in curbing the damaging ways in which you might be interacting with people is to really see that you do have bias. The second step is working against your own bias to diminish it. Another way to minimize microaggressions is to degender everything. Break your hymns into high voices and low voices. Figure out a different way to break up your study groups and retreats, maybe by age or marital status. Get really bold and figure out how to make your bathrooms gender neutral. Explore biblical translations like the Inclusive Bible for use in worship settings. Use name tags with pronouns. Offer name tags at every gathering of your staff or congregation. They can be reusable or disposable, but normalize people wearing their names and their pronouns. This will also make it easier if someone changes their name or pronouns to not have to remember it so quickly. Invite people of color. This doesn't just mean a seat in the room, but a voice at the table, which is respectfully heard. People of color should be just as visible in the church, just as valued, just as included in the leadership of the church as any white person there. Inviting them shows that you want them there. Be respectful when your invitation is declined and when offering another invite. Recognize people who contribute time and talents. This could be as simple as having a thanks part of a service one Sunday, which recognizes those who give greatly in time and talent. Practice radical welcome. Not everyone who walks through our church doors is pleasant, but everyone has a right to be there. Even if they smell, even if they're dirty, even if they have conditions which lead to disruptions, even if they're poor or gay or trans or black or speak Spanish or Arabic, no one should be excluded for being different. Include sign language and closed captions. This might mean making sure that you have an interpreter for national or re regional gatherings or that you and your congregation commit to learning 
at least the Lord's Prayer in sign language. It should definitely mean that you include closed captions on any videos of any kind. Ask questions. The truth about microaggressions is that they happen when we assume things. We assume why people come through the door, why they have the job that they do, that they'll be comfortable in certain spaces and with certain things. Our assumptions cause the harm. Ask questions instead. Try things like, what style of worship do you prefer? Or do you speak more than one language? Or what pronouns do you use? This also includes questions of consent, similar to those asked by Jesus in Scripture. For example, do you want to be healed? Perpetrators of microaggressions often experience unawareness and respond, no, I didn't say that, when confronted. They also resort to unintentionality by saying things like, you know I didn't mean it like that. Perpetrators try to preserve their self-image by emphasizing they're not prejudiced people. This leads to defensiveness. This is something on which we need to work because denial during confrontation may further the microaggressive experience. Recipients of subtle microaggressions may question the possibility that they just misread the situation or are plainly overreacting. Oftentimes, Facing the ambiguity of microaggressions, persons wonder if they should take action or, and how to go about it. Taking action, confronting the perpetrator may feel unsafe, but not doing it leads to loss of integrity. The goals in addressing microaggressions are, first, to raise awareness by making the invisible visible. Second, to acquire tools to resist them. And third, to bring about substantial change. When someone has perpetrated microaggressions against you, there are a few strategies that work at least part of the time. State what actually happened. Some things need to be called what they are, and microaggressions are definitely among those things. What is happening to you is real, and you have every right to name it. Ask some uncomfortable questions. Questioning the action can force someone to really examine their motives. Ask some more uncomfortable questions. If the perpetrator becomes defensive or displays denial, asking more questions may open their eyes. Reinforce that good intentions are not the point. The perpetrator may have not meant to offend you, but they did. 
And finally, remember you are not crazy and you have every right to bring this up. This is a real problem and needs to be addressed, even if people get uncomfortable. Whether you are black, white, Latinx, trans, gay, non-binary, differently able, straight, or any other name you give yourself, I am here to tell you two important truths. First, you are who you are because God made you that way. Be yourself and enjoy it. Carry your identity with dignity. Assess your ways to connect, relate, love, and not love. And follow the loftier path of community. This will make you happy. Second, there is a place in downtown Tacoma where you can find acceptance and embrace. Not because who you are is a problem that needs fixing, but because you've been bruised enough. At Urban Grace, you can find a spiritual home and a path to healing by belonging, by simply being who you are. If you are close to Tacoma, Washington, come and check us out. We can be your last stop as a spiritual seeker.